take a second to remind our uh, children, eight, grades two and under, can head to Children's Church at this time. You can tell by my voice, I'm a little froggy today. It's actually, I think, worse now than it's been yet, so lucky you. This actually reminds me of camp because I have been at camp before and lost my voice and still had to do a camp chapel service. So for those of you that maybe had attended that camp, this will be a, a, a fun memory for you. It's not going to be fun for me, though. <clears throat> the title of today's sermon today is to tell. And I want to read to you from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And we're going to be in the fourth chapter, starting in verse 2. This should be familiar to us because we actually studied this passage in Sunday school just a few weeks back. So as you are already standing, hear the word of God. It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Please be seated. There is a saying that we have probably heard, and it's, it's a Christian saying, though it's not a Bible saying, it's not a, a scriptural saying, that has seemed to persist in, in Christian history. And it's probably one that you maybe have heard or, or seen on a, on a t-shirt or something like that. And it, it's this, and, and it just doesn't seem to go away. I just want you to kind of understand this. And the saying is this. It says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. You've probably heard that verse. You may even like that, not verse, that quote. You may even like that quote. This quote is usually attributed to St. Francis of Assisi who was the, the founder of the Franciscan order and the, the Franciscan monks. There, how is, there is, however, a couple problems with this quote. The first of these problems is that we have no record of St. Francis of Assisi ever actually uttering these words. We can go back and all the things he said and we can go back to all of his writings and nowhere in any of those writings do we see this phrase. The closest we get to this phrase is from the, the rules and the, the order of Franciscan monks that says this, let all the brothers, however, preach by their deeds. Now, ironically, that is one line in a much larger thing about how the Franciscan monks were supposed to preach the services. Telling them that make sure that they stick to what, what they're supposed to preach and what they've been instructed to preach unless given some sort of, uh, of exception. And then making sure that whatever they do preach, that they also live out as well. There is, however, another problem with this quote. That's, that, that seems to create a problem, especially in the life of the Christian today. 
This problem is that we seem to create some sort of false idea that we are able to accurately communicate the gospel apart from using our words. We take a verse or we take a statement like preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary to think that using our words to communicate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is somehow optional. That if we just live a really good life and be particularly caring and, and loving and who knows what else, that by some miracle, people will just come to know Jesus on their own. The reality is that the gospel spreads through our words. We have to tell people the good news in order for them to believe the good news. Our passage this morning represents the closing remarks of Paul to the church in Colossae. In fact, our passage is actually the last instructions that Paul gives to this church before he just kind of wraps everything off and names names and, and kind of drops kind of little greetings and, and salutations. He is telling them how they ought to live and how they ought to conduct their lives in light of the gospel. Contained within these words is a description of Paul's ministry and the church's role in aiding and ultimately finishing the goal of seeing the gospel message go forth to all the nations. Let me show you what I mean. The first thing we see in this passage, and the first very clear instruction that he gives to the church in Colossae, is to pray. This is the most important command that he gives them in all of this. Everything else is, is uh, secondary to this command. He says first, pray. Specifically, he says this, devote yourselves to pray. Now, there's no accident that he is closing his, his letter to this church with an instruction to pray. Because he actually began this letter talking about prayer and his prayer life. Colossians 1, chapter 1 verse 3 actually says this. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So he begins his letter by saying, hey, I want you to know we are, and he's talking about himself, he's talking about Onesimus, he's talking about Timothy, he's probably talking about Luke, all those that are with him while he's in prison. He says, I want you to know this church, we are praying for you. And now as we come to the end of the letter, he's saying, would you please pray for us? He uses very specific words here saying, devote yourselves to prayer, praying at the same time for us also. The word used is devote. This is a fun word in the scripture because it means to persist in doing something. Keep at it. He's saying that, that it's gonna, there's going to be frustrations, there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days. You're going to have challenges, you're going to have all sorts of things. But continue, be committed to, devote yourselves to prayer. Now as he is saying this, we, we might think about this, and I want you to kind of understand something here. That prayer is supposed to be one of the key characteristics of the church of Christ. 
This means that prayer is something that we should do individually. And we talk a lot about that. That's something that we should have our personal quiet time and we should spend time with the Lord in prayer. But also that prayer is something that we should be doing corporately. The body should gather for the purpose of prayer. That's actually important. In fact, when we think about, and you know, everything he's going to talk about in this passage, he is springboarding into this conversation about the gospel and going forth and lives being changed and, and the Great Commission being accomplished. And he is beginning all of that conversation with prayer is crucially important to the work of ministry. We ask this question all the time in the church when we're having our, our Bible studies, our discussions is, is what is keeping the church from just busting loose? Why does, we might say we're old, so we say it in old way. I point to Joe because he's the, the second oldest guy I know here. Um, where's Dennis? There you are. Never mind. Um, when we talk about it, we might ask the question, why does revival tarry? Now, my kids don't ask that question. But you know what they do ask? Why is the world so messed up? Why do I have to go to school and deal with people that I love and that are my friends that are living so far out of the word of God that they're not even close? We ask the question, why is the church not as effective in transforming the world, turning the world upside down as it should be? And what if at least one contributing factor of that is the church has put prayer on the back burner? We have reduced our prayer life to blessings before meals and poems that we recite before we go to bed. We make prayer less than a, than a couple of minutes of every service. Our churches have jettisoned prayer meetings in specific times that the church body gathers together to prayer. We've gotten rid of all of those for the sake of more and more and more Bible study and fellowship and service projects. And those things are great things. But man, if you call a prayer meeting, you're, you're pumped if you get four or five people there. But man, if you start a Bible study, you'll have 15 like that. And yet, when we look to Scripture, the most important, the center of all the, the comments that are being made here by Paul is pray. Prayer is to be so stinking important to the church. We see in 1 Thessalonians a, a, a parallel passage to this one where he says, pray without ceasing. We should constantly have a prayer in our heart. We should be quick to pray together. We should be eager to gather together to pray. We should be praying in our homes, praying with our families. Parents, it should not be a foreign concept for your children to see you pray and to pray with you. And church, prayer time should not be a time that you skip over because you're busy and you've got chores. 
prayer time is not something you should rush through in your Sunday school class so you can get to Bible study. Prayer time is not something we should forsake because we want to do something. If we want to rock this world, it doesn't start with filling bags and knocking on doors. It doesn't start with a a, a praise and worship band and smoke and lights. It doesn't start with actually getting yourselves a good preacher. It starts with prayer. And a church that will faithfully commit itself, in fact, devote itself to praying that the gospel will go forth. After Paul encourages the church to to pray, to devote itself to prayer, to pray for it, he begins to tell them what to pray for, how to pray for Paul and his companions specifically. He is essentially giving the church his prayer requests. And this prayer request is an illustration of how Paul has been doing ministry from the very beginning. Notice what comes first as we go back to verse 3. It says this, Pray that God might open up to us a door for the word. Paul knew that, that, that if anything was going to happen, it started with prayer. And it was prayer that God would begin to open doors. To open doors. What? You know, we look at that. It says to open doors that, that the, for the word that it might go forth. This should be something that is somewhat eye-opening to us today. Because evangelism, because conversion, because seeing people come to know Christ doesn't start. And your role in these things doesn't start with you learning the coolest new technique to share Christ. It doesn't start with years of spiritual maturity and being able to learn and answer every question. It doesn't start with having a full understanding of all the apologetics of the Bible. It doesn't start with with learning a card or, or any sort of program or anything like that. It starts with God opening up a pathway for us to share Christ. Now, this is the important thing I want you to remember. Seeing people come to know Christ doesn't start with you. Because God is already doing wonderful, amazing things to see lost people come to know him long before you get to be a part of the picture. And we begin to pray that God will open up those doors and before you ever start a gospel conversation, hand out a gospel track, knock on a stranger's door, Sit down for coffee with your family member or your best friend or your coworker. God is doing something that you can't even see. God is working in their heart. God is helping them recognize that something is amok. God is, is awakening them to their brokenness so that they long to hear the message that God is entrusting you to bring. I hope and I pray that that is a comfort to you. Because I know that sharing your faith and making the gospel known is scary. It is. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, we spent five months 
knocking on doors, inviting people to, to hear the good news of the gospel and praying with them. And after five months, I got pretty comfortable with it. I was like, let's go. Let's make it happen. Let's, I'm ready for gospel conversations. I took one month off. We got done in October. In mid-November, we partnered with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, and we went out and knocked on doors in a different neighborhood to help out another church in our area. And I remember, like, getting out of, of Sherry's car and, like, looking at a house that had a door, and I thought, oh, man, I don't want to do this again. It's almost like I'd forgotten. And I was the same nervousness that I felt six months prior was there again. And I had to go and I had to knock on that door. But you know what helps me go up and knock on that door and helps me to finally say those words and get that conversation started is because we prayed before we left. And I had trust that God had been working in those homes in ways that I can't even comprehend long before I stood on their front porch. Knowing that God is at work in our community in ways we can't even see should calm our fears and excite us to do his work. Because make no mistake, God will open doors. And God is preparing homes and he is preparing pathways for us to share Christ. We need only look. This is the reason why God tells us in Isaiah 55, so will my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter with which I sent it. Paul and his associates dil diligently prayed that God would open doors and that they were alert enough to recognize the doors that were open. And brothers and sisters, we have to be the same way. Now, this does mean that it is not our job to pry open doors that are not open. I know that there can be a temptation for the overly zealous, and, and I might fall into that category on occasion to want to ram gospel conversations into every situation. You shouldn't be looking so approvingly on that statement. And you may have this desire to start to force things in. That's not what it's talking about. However, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't think that is typically the problem in the church today. I don't think people are looking at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church today and saying, man, they're pushy, ain't they? Now, they may be looking at your pastor and saying, wow, he's pushy. I've heard that said. But more often, what this means is that we have to be not so self-absorbed or timid that we never look for open doors at all. And that I do think is a problem. See, Paul and his associates were asking the church in Colossae to pray that God would, be, would open doors for them to preach the word, for them to communicate the gospel. And he, they were praying for that. And, and, and Paul and, and Luke and Timothy and all those associates, they were constantly looking for opportunities to, to, to have gospel conversations and to have those things and to, to talk with either individuals or entire groups. But they were constantly looking. They were alert to those things. 
And in a lot of ways, I think the church is asleep today. We're not alert looking to, for those things. More often, because we are so, the only thing we're alert to is our own needs and our own comforts and our own desires and our own wants. And so we don't see the doors that God is opening to the gospel all around us because we're too busy focusing on us. And then when God finally throws one so clearly in our face that we cannot help but say, oh, you know, they probably should hear about Jesus. That we go, but not for me. Does anybody remember the cartoon? It was Looney Tunes. I'm dating myself a little bit. And there was a buzzard that the mama buzzer was trying to kick out of the nest and the little baby buzzer go, no, 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 no. That's the church today. We got a whole lot of people and we're saying, go and share Christ with the people that God has placed in your life. And they're going, oh, no, 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 not me. That's surely that's someone else's job. Do you remember the parable of the talons? Quick recap. A ruler, a wealthy landowner, is going out. He calls three slaves to him. He gives each of them talents, which were instruments of money. He gives one five, one three, one one. He says, when I come back, I want to see what you did with that money. Goes back, comes back, talks to the guy with the five. He's made five more, doubled it. He says, well done. Go. The guy with three comes back. He's made three more. He's doubled his and he goes, well, well done. Good job. But then the one with the one comes back. And he says this. The one with the one, the one that the owner refers to as the wicked and lazy slave. He said this. He says, I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. And see what you have is yours. Guys, we do not want to be this guy. We do not want to be the one that he says, you wicked and lazy slave. Take what he had and give it to someone else and throw him out. God is opening up doors for you to share Christ with people, for you to speak the word of hope into the lives of other people. And there is going to come a day where you will stand before God and he's going to ask you, what did you do? And brothers and sisters, we do not want to look up into the God of all creation and say, I was afraid. So I did nothing.
Paul goes on. He says, pray at the same time for us as well that God will open up a door for the word that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say that I may, may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. It begins with prayer. With prayer, we begin to look for the open doors that God is providing for us. And when we see those open doors, we speak. And we speak clearly. You might ask, speak what? Paul says, the mystery of Christ. Now, if you have been in the Bible for a while, you are familiar with this word mystery. It's not a shock to see it. But if you are not familiar with it, I want to let you know that when we talk about mystery, we're not talking about an episode of Scooby-Doo. This is a Bible word that shows up often that usually means something that was hidden. And so not everybody knew about it, but now is being revealed. We see this talked about all over in Scripture. In fact, Colossians even uses it at the beginning. Once again, Colossians 1, starting in verse 26, it says this, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God wills to make known what is the riches and the glory and the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, what was hidden from the past, what was hidden in all of the, the Old Testament is now being revealed. And that is this, that Christ has come. And that he has come to deliver both Jew and Gentile from their sins and to restore them back to a relationship with God. This is not only good news, this is the good news. The word that Paul and his associates are trying to get out is that Christ came to save sinners. And that is not limited to Jews, but to Gentiles. That is not limited to the, the upper crust, but the down and outs. That is not limited to men or women or anybody or any race, but Christ came to save the world from their sin. And let us not lose sight that we have the best news in the world. We believe it. We've been entrusted with it. And we get to share it with everyone. You may ask the question, how do we share it? And the answer is great. Clearly. How do we, how do we share the gospel so that people can understand it? This means that you don't need to know a lot of big fancy words in order to tell somebody about Jesus. Take courage, my friend. You do not need a theological degree, five plus years of discipleship, or some sort of dictionary in order to share Christ with people. You don't need the terminology. You don't need any of that that goes with it. You just need to tell people about Jesus. In fact, I would say with some confidence that it is far more powerful to see the everyday person, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, 
who is able to clearly and simply explain the gospel to someone than any book that anyone has ever written on the subject. When you go to your brother and sister, go to your coworker, go to your neighbor, and you say, let me tell you about my Jesus. And you tell them what you believe, and you tell them why you believe it. That is going to do so much more than anything else that we could possibly use. And Paul knew this. Paul was educated. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. We would look at him today as the, the guy with the PhD in theology and Old Testament stuff. He knew it all. He'd learned it all. He had all the pedigree. And yet when he went to the church in Corinth, this is what he had to say. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with a superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimonies of God, but I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think about this for a second. Paul knew how to use all the big fancy words. He knew how to look like the smartest guy in the room. He knew how to look like the most educated dude around. And he said, and you know what? I intentionally did none of that because I wanted you to just hear the gospel. We don't have anything to worry about. If we have the gospel, then we can share the gospel. And sometimes the most powerful testimony and gospel presentation that exists is from the person who is nervous and stumbling and bumbling and yet believes in the message that they're communicating. Understand this. God can do far more with a willing heart than he can with a puffed up brain. Finally, we need to make sure that our walk matches our talk. As our quote said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. We need to recognize that while we do need to use words, our walk and our testimony and our witness by what we do does have a tremendous amount of power. It is communicated by how we use our words the manner in which we communicate to people. It matters how we back up our words. And Paul finishes this this time out. He says, pray for us so that these things may happen. And then he looks at them and he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom. See, he's done all this. He said, pray that this can happen. Pray that, that God will open up the doors. And when God opens up those doors, that we'll be able to preach the gospel and make known the mysteries of Christ and do so as clearly as possible. And you, and this is what he wants them to do as well. And he goes, but make sure that your conduct matches your message. And he says, and I love the instruction here. This is, this is a thing for me, so I, you can tell I'm excited. And he turns to him and he goes, conduct yourselves with wisdom. Now, I know it says with with wisdom towards outsiders, but we don't need those last two words. 
they're there. But if we just do that first part, we'll do the second part, right? He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom. If you conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, towards people, that makes a difference. When we allow our lives to be governed by godly wisdom that we find in Scripture, it will have an impact on our speech, on our behavior, on our responses to other people, even when those people are acting like fools, on our emotions, our priorities. Literally everything about you will be shaped by God and His character. That's what wisdom does. Proverbs, our book of wisdom, says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's Proverbs 10.9. When we saturate ourselves with God's Word, submit ourselves to that Word, then we will be led by God's wisdom and not by all the other things that try to control our lives. You think about it for just a second. What are you led by? In our culture today, the biggest thing I think that we are led by is our emotions. That's what leads us. How does this make me feel? Well, if it makes me feel this way, then it must be that way. And so we allow emotions to govern our thoughts, make our decisions, delegate and... and, and, and uh, and uh, control our relationships. Everything we do, everything we think is, is controlled by what we feel. And brothers and sisters, that's not good. A lot of times, what leads us is our desires. What do I want? And if it's what I want, then it must be good. And so I will let that govern my actions. If I want it, then I'm going to do everything I can to get it. And if I don't want it, then I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. Sometimes we let political ideologies and parties govern. Well, is this what this guy says I should think? Then that's what I'll think. If this is what this talking head says I should do, then that's what I'll do. Sometimes we're led by the generational curses in our families. And we see sin that goes from the grandfather or grandmother to the, to the mother or father, to you, to our children, and on. And we say, why can't I break this cycle? Why am, why, you know, wow, you're just like your mother. You're just like your grandmother. You're just like this. You're just like that. And we allow the conditions of our home and our generations to govern and dictate our life no matter what. And we use it to make our excuses and to justify our behavior even when we know it's wrong. But what if for just a moment we stopped all that. What if for just a moment we said, never again? 
What if for just a moment we said, I repent? And we allowed God and His Word and His wisdom and His character to govern who we are, to lead us in our decisions and our desires and our actions. change everything. See, through wisdom, we will be able to engage the lost that they might see Christ in us and they might know Christ through us. A verse that has very much so become my theme verse in the culture and the life that, that we have today is found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And it says this, so be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Even within that statement, Jesus is calling his disciples as they go forth to share the gospel in all the surrounding villages, to exercise wisdom and purity. And brothers and sisters, we are called to that same endeavor now. There is a world that needs to hear the good news. And we have been called to tell them. Now, we want to make sure that you know that good news before you ever try to go and tell someone that good news. And we present the good news the same way every week here. And in fact, let's have a little fun with it today. I'm probably way over in time and I don't really care. So here we go. Now, wait just a second, Laney. I want to make sure. First thing we see on this when we communicate the gospel is that God has a design. We believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what Genesis 1-1 tells us. And that we believe that God created everything on purpose and with a purpose. In fact, in Genesis 1, it goes on. In fact, it's in Genesis 2. He goes on, he says, and he behold on everything he created. And he said it was very good. He made everything on purpose, with a purpose, and that includes you. And if we could just stay living in God's design, then everything would be glorious. And everything would be fine, and yet we know everything's not fine. It's not fine in the world around us. It's not fine in our hearts. We see that something has gone amok there. What is that thing that's gone amok in our lives? Sin. Good job. That was with some authority, too. That's exactly right. We departed from God's design. We wanted to create our own design and our own purpose, and that's called sin. Now, sin does, you'll notice from the arrow that it takes us somewhere. Where does it take us? Brokenness. Good job, guys. If I try to use my brand new iPad as a cutting board to make vegetable soup, I'm going to break it. My family just got a new dog. I'm very excited about it. If Joseph decides he wants to use that dog as a horse, he's going to break it. When we try to use something the way it's not intended to be used, often we find it broken, and that's true for us as well. When we try to create our own design, we, we try to kind of try to create our own way, we often find ourselves in a state of brokenness. And we feel that, and we know that, don't we? See, this is cool, because of this way we present this here, you can just turn to someone and say, 
You ever feel broken? Do you ever feel like you're not where you're supposed to be? That you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? That you're not living up to the standards that you even feel like you're living up to? And I'm pretty sure the answer is yes for everybody. And we can say that's brokenness. And we have all those squiggly lines, and those squiggly lines are the ways that we try to hide and mask and escape our brokenness. But what we know is we can't escape brokenness from brokenness, which means we need something outside of our brokenness to step in for us. What is that thing outside of our brokenness? The gospel. Ooh, that was a little bit weaker, everybody. It's the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The Bible says, <coughs> and what we are celebrating today, my cough drop literally just ran out and now I'm coughing. <coughs> God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life. He died a sacrificial death for your sins and for mine. And he rose again three days later. And the Bible says that if we, what? Repent. Marsha, you get a gold star. I'm getting you a gift certificate. <laughs> Longer than that. We've been putting it up for two years. If we, the Bible says, in fact, John 3.16 says, that God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. We understand that today to mean that if we believe the good news of the gospel, if we believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ, that he did die on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later and we repent, we turn away from the sin that led us to brokenness and begin to follow Jesus. We make him, as, the, as Romans 10, 9 says, we make him the Lord of our life. We confess him as Lord. Then we will be saved from our brokenness in order to do what? Good job. Good job. In order to recover and pursue God's design for our life again. This is that wisdom. See, through the, that's the interesting thing. We can't, we can't conduct ourselves with wisdom apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. If we want to begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life, we have to surrender our lives to Christ. And then we can begin to recover and pursue and conduct ourselves with wisdom. This is the mystery of Christ that Paul is communicating. This is what we communicate. And this is what we offer to you today. If you are with us today and you are looking at this picture and you're saying to yourself, I still see myself in that brokenness. I have not, not repented and believed. I've not surrendered my life to Christ and, and surrendered myself to the gospel. And, and, and I don't want to stay there anymore because I know what that feels like. And I, I want to be delivered. Then we offer that to you freely today. If you've done that, then who are you going to share this with? What doors is God opening to you today?
we're doing an initiative within the Kentucky Baptist Convention where we are calling out the called. And we recognize that we, as the state of Kentucky, are in a place where we have literally hundreds of churches without pastors. We desperately need people that are willing to step up and tell people the good news. Maybe that's you today. However God's calling you to respond, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. And you may stay in your seat and you may talk with God one-on-one. You may like to come up to the steps here and focus your time of prayer with him. Maybe you want to come up to talk with me about making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, joining in fellowship with our church, surrendering your life to ministry so that you can serve one of the hundreds of churches in the Commonwealth that desperately needs somebody to speak the truth to them. However God's leading you to respond today, we would invite you to do whatever that is. Joe's going to be singing one more song, or we are going to be singing with Joe. We invite you to respond. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, we praise you for your word. God, we thank you that that you have entrusted us with this word. God, I pray that we will be a church that is alert. God, that we will see the open doors in front of us, God, and that we will make known the mystery of of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, that we will do so clearly, faithfully. And God, that we will have lives marked by wisdom, that we will be obedient to you. And Lord, that even that will begin to whet the appetite of the people around us, that it will open those doors so that we can share the good news with them. Lord, I know that there are people in this room today that they need to surrender their lives to you. God, there are others that need to come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can accomplish the mission that we're talking about today. God, there are still others that that need to surrender their lives to the call of ministry and, and maybe step up into one of the many churches in our area that desperately needs some sort of part time pastor that will just come in and love them and tell them the truth. God, some of us just need to con- take a moment and confess and repent of our, of our self-centeredness, of the fact that we are not alert but asleep, and of our need to walk in wisdom with you. God, however, this message, your word has touched these people today. God, I pray that you would do a work in their heart. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.